Welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 726 for release on Sunday, January 22nd, 2023. On the program today, the Samoan earthquakes and the early radio scene in American Samoa. We'll have more of Jerry Plummer's talk about how the Caribbean Beacons transmitter ended up in Nashville, Tennessee. And our Australian DX report from Bob Padula. In recent time, news personnel have commented about what they see as a current epidemic of earthquakes and volcanic eruptions around the world. These earth-shaking events have occurred on all continents and even out in Hawaii with a strange double event. Both volcanoes on the Big Island, Kilauea and Mauna Loa, were erupting simultaneously. Here's Ray Robinson now with the situation in the South Pacific. Thanks, Jeff. The islands of American Samoa out in the Pacific haven't been exempt either. They also have undergone a long series of earthquakes. In November last year, 2022, the official government agencies in Pango Pango announced that they were registering earthquakes at more than 2,000 daily. Fortunately, most of those earthquakes have been at a lower level of intensity, though some in December 2022 were significant, including at least one at 6.7 on the Richter scale. American Samoa is a small group of islands in the exotic South Pacific, with a total land area of only 76.8 square miles, a little more than the area of Washington, D.C., There are five main islands and two coral atolls, with a population of 45,000, most of whom are bilingual in Samoan and English. Linguists inform us that there are 38 different Polynesian languages in the South Pacific, and most of them are interchangeably understood. American Samoa lies east of the International Date Line, and New Zealand Samoa lies west of the International Date Line. Some local tribal customs reach both Samoas, sometimes even overriding local government regulations. The first Polynesian settlers came to Samoa around 600 BC, and the first European visitor was the Dutch explorer Commodore Jacob Rocheveen, who was actually unsuccessfully searching for Terra Australis, Australia. The first missionary to American Samoa was John Williams from the London Missionary Society in England. In 1879, government officials from the United States, England and Germany established an American, English and German tripartite government in Samoa. Then ten years later, in March 1889, an imperial German naval force entered a village in Samoa and in so doing destroyed some American property. Three American warships then entered Apia Harbour in what is now New Zealand Samoa and prepared to engage the three German warships at anchor there. Before any shots were fired, a typhoon wrecked both the American and German ships, and as a result, a compulsory armistice was called because of the lack of warships. 
Ten years later again, in 1899, Samoa was separated into German Samoa in the west and American Samoa in the east. During World War II, American military personnel outnumbered the local citizens two to one. And then on September the 28th, 2009, a massive earthquake was measured at 8.1 and it triggered a tsunami wave 20 feet high that flooded one mile inland. We look now at the early wireless scene on American Samoa going way back to the very beginning, more than 100 years, to 1912. It was at that stage, just a dozen years after experimental wireless became a practical form of distant communication, that the US Navy began active plans for development of a small network of wireless stations in American Samoa. Five years later, in 1917, work was completed on a network of four wireless stations on four different islands in American Samoa. The network headquarters station, NPU, was established in the naval headquarters at Pango Pango on Tutuila Island with two transmitters at 5 and 30 kilowatts. The subsidiary stations for the three other islands were at lower power levels. Ofu Island, with a population of less than 200 people, is linked by a narrow isthmus with Olosega Island, also with a population of less than 200. In earlier times, people would walk between the two islands at low tide, though a highway bridge now connects the two almost islands. The original call sign for the Navy wireless station on Ofu Island was NPU2, though this was subsequently changed to NGX. Tau Island, with a population under 1,000, is the easternmost island in the Samoas, and it's considered to be the birthplace of the Polynesian peoples in the Pacific. Tau was also the site where the American anthropologist, 23-year-old Margaret Mead, conducted her dissertation research about teenage girls in Samoa in the 1920s, after which she published her book entitled Coming of Age in Samoa. The original call sign for the Navy wireless station on Tau Island was probably NPU-3, though this was subsequently changed to NCM. The Manua Islands is the collective name for the cluster of three islands, Tau, Ofu and Olosega, that lies 70 miles east of the main island Tutuila. There was an additional half-kilowatt wireless station installed on one of the Manua Islands that served as a relay station between the three subsidiary islands and NPU on the main Tutuila Island. During the South Pacific search for the missing American aviator Amelia Earhart in 1937, the main Navy communication station on Tutuila Island in American Samoa, NPU, was in frequent communication with other stations in the Pacific and also with several Navy ships from different countries. More than a 100 different radio communication stations in the Pacific, mobile on ships and fixed on land, served jointly with cooperative messages. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Ray. Ray Robinson there at KVOH in Los Angeles. And why don't we listen now to a quick identification from WVUV on 103.1 FM in American Samoa. Uh, They say they were the first radio station in American Samoa uh, since 1942, owned by a company called South Seas Broadcasting. WVUV FM, welcome to a V103. The people's station is WVUV, American Samoa's first radio station. The people's station. The people's 
News. I'm Rich Dennison. The House has adjourned its first day of the new Congress without electing a new speaker after three consecutive... And that was an ID there from WVUV 103.1 FM in American Samoa. Thank you very much, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles for that report. BBC Bangla, Shandhu Udhibishan, Prabahute, Apnadish Shagutu. Aaj Apnadish Shathe, London Studio, Theke, Achi, Manushi Borua, Adhakai, Amashate, Thakchen, Akbar Hussain. Joe's Jacob in India informs us that the BBC Bangla radio service ended on December 31st, 2022, after 81 years. BBC Bangla Betar started its journey on 11th of October, 1941. In the beginning, newsletters were translated into Bengali to broadcast world news and various types of magazine programs. Later, BBC Bangla Betar produced its own news and analyses. The audience's dependence on BBC News and the popularity of BBC Bangla Radio greatly increased during the Bangladesh Liberation War in 1971. The format of BBC Bengali radio news coverage has changed over time. BBC Bangla's radio broadcasts ceased on December 31, 2022 with more emphasis on the latest digital platforms. Here's a snippet from one of their broadcasts. BBC Banglar, Shob Radio Srotake, Shudir Khoshomai, Amade Shati Thakajone, Amade Betar Shangbadikotaropur, Apnade, Astha Rakajono, BBC Banglar, Shobar Pokoteke, Anturik Tonobad, Agamite Digital Matome, Amade Jatrateo, Apnade Shangopabo, Ekamunakure, Bidainichi, Manoshibua. The BBC Bangla schedule until December 31st of 2022 was 1330 to 1400 UTC on 9510 kilohertz via Singapore, 9900 kilohertz via Sri Lanka, and 11750 kHz via Oman. It was also on from 1630 to 1730 UTC on 7265 kHz via Oman, and 9585 kHz via Singapore. Well, we continue today with the late Jerry Plummer's talk at the 2022 annual meeting of the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters in Washington, D.C. Jerry, who was frequency manager for WWCR in Tennessee, told the story of Dr. Gene Scott's shortwave station, the Caribbean Beacon in Anguilla, and how the station was closed down a few years ago, and the shortwave transmitter ended up at WWCR in Nashville. Here's the next installment in Jerry's presentation. This is kind of what, what occurred. is a 25-year agreement that was done that expired in um, 2021. The attorneys and the engineer at, on site in Anguilla had let the uh, contract lap, the agreement lapse. Didn't find out about it until six months afterwards. Uh, so they could literally shut down everything that the government could, AXA they call them, at any time. But we didn't really know at that time that it was expired. And we weren't advised that it was expired by the attorney in Anguilla, nor by the uh, engineer of the station. 
so there's a definite problem there. Uh, that's when I first heard about it. And because, you know, uh, they broadcast almost fully one transmitter still at WWCR. And that's when they told it. That's when I started finding out about it. And they said, well, we're going to go down and talk with uh, the members of the government to get this squared away. And if any guys have ever spent any sort of amount of time in the Caribbean, you know that things don't really move kind of like the way you expect them to move. This 30-page document was agreed to, signed, sealed, and delivered, and everything was good. But it must be renewed within that 25 years. It was not. That's where the problem started. It was after that that we started seeing, this is again sort of a little brief history, and this also happened with the tornado, the hurricane that hit in, I guess, 2019. I can't remember. The one that uh, tore it up, it, it really damaged the transmitter totally. And, uh, excuse me, the, the tower antenna uh, transmitter was okay. So that being off the air, plus the fact that it was coming up uh, for expiration, gave the government a chance to start thinking about, you know, we didn't like this thing the last time when we signed it because everybody says that they're dying from radiation. Um, on the previous setup, the BBC came in, and I've got a picture of a couple of these for you, and did a complete study that proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that radiation was not an impact on the population at that area. Uh, but they didn't believe that. Uh, this talks a little bit about that. And you can read through all those, but I wanted you to see this thing is called a, a Memorandum of Understanding, MOU. And you sign it, uh, you and AXA, the government, and that becomes the binding agreement for the next 25 years, with, uh, the Memorandum of Understanding. And this is the one that was sent down to the guys. It was very similar to uh, the last one. And what happened to it, as you can see, fucking so far so good. Now, uh-oh, this government changes. A lot of government changes. Uh, and literally said, we'll let the AMs and the FMs go. But the shortwave, we're just not going to be able to do anything with it because it's killing so many people. Uh, you know, the BBC had done a complete, uh, expansive report on it when they first set the thing up, showing clearly, without a doubt, that radiation was not an impact. So they said, well, we can get, get somebody to come in and redo the, do another one and then to prove that it's not there. Additionally, if you'd like, we'll provide you at our cost uh, a machine that you can use to test different levels. And they said, oh, good, then we'll, we'll take that, you know, uh, thinking that that would be sufficient. And then, after a few months, nothing happened. They asked me to go down with them. And I met with um, uh, the head of that particular government ministry, and it, it's, it's unusual. They were so friendly. Everything was great. Uh, shook hands. Everything's going to work. Come back and two days later, oh, no, we don't agree to any of this whatsoever. So things aren't looking good. In the meantime, Pastor Scott's wife, uh, 
Jean Scott's wife, he passed in 2005, and she took it over. She had already made the decision to spend $1.5 million to rebuild it and had already bought the transmitter tower, too, a brand-new TCI tower that's still sitting in Glendale unboxed. So she had already made that purchase. And uh, then this constant delaying and constant not being able to get it was starting to become a problem to her. That was a straw that broke the, uh, Pastor Scott's back. She said, that's it. I'm done. I'm, I'm done. She wrote a letter to him in pretty harsh terms stating that uh, this one and a half million bucks that we're wanting to sink into the, uh, into the environment or into the economy, that was going away. And any income flows in future were going to go away. And uh, two days later, she got a response from AXA, the government, stating, uh, we received your last request and unfortunately were able to, unable to honor it. So I, that's, uh, that's all she wrote. So they called us. And said, "Well, do you do you think that you guys would be interested in purchasing it?" And that's where we went into this part. And I actually, we actually weren't planning on buying it uh, at all. But if any of you guys that's got continental transmitters know about the unavailability of parts, parts are almost impossible to get and from continental. And if you get them, there's often a three- to six-month lead time on it. Uh, we've done quite a bit over the last four or five years, as uh, WWN has too, in finding places to outsource to get these parts, get them rebuilt. Or, and, Jeff, you know how you guys helped us. Uh, so it, it's really got to a, a position where parts are harder and harder to get. And we were thinking, you know, if we could get that whole transmitter up here, we would have spare parts for everything, which would give us another life of at least eight or ten years because some of these parts are, are just not to be found. So I'd, I'd pitch the, the owners who are in New Orleans. I'd pitch them on it. Uh, I said, you know, you've got a chance here for probably pennies on the dollar to get the whole transmitter uh, get moved up. Uh, we could store it, and we'd have all these parts. It'd probably give us a life expectancy of at least another eight to ten years. And they were not real interested in the idea because of cash flow and that type of thing. But in, uh, I guess this was last December, like the first of December, I got a call from one of the main owners. It's one family. I got a call from the one in charge. And he said, do you think that offer is on the transmitter is still open? I said, I think so. I said, but I'll call and see. So I called and talked to the people I know at, uh, in Glendale, California. And he said, yeah. He said, yeah, we can still work it out. And I said, well, here's what they've offered. And he said, that'll work. He said, that plus freight, okay? And I said, yeah. Uh, so we made the agreement. Then the question becomes, how do you get that thing from there to here? And that was Jerry Plummer of WWCR speaking at the 2022 NASB meeting in Washington about how the Caribbean Beacons shortwave transmitter ended up at WWCR in Nashville, Tennessee. We'll have the next installment coming up on WaveScan soon. Now let's go to Bob Padula in Melbourne, Australia. Welcome to another edition of the Australian DX Report. This is Bob Padula in Melbourne, Australia, bringing to you our latest roundup of news concerning 
shortwave broadcasting stations around the world. We include information concerning propagation reports, monitoring information, solar activity news, schedule information and other items of interest to shortwave monitoring enthusiasts. A reminder that all times we give in these programs are in UTC, also known as GMT, and all frequencies are in kilohertz. Full detail QSL cards are available for correct reception reports received for the Australian DX report. The address will be given at the end of the program. So now, here is this week's news. Now some monitoring information provided by our European monitors. First of all, the voice of the Martis, a broken station using the Western Australian transmitting facility from Kununurra. The frequency is 9860, heard in Europe with Korean language programs between 0900 and 0930. Transmitter power 100 kilowatts and the antenna 144 degrees. The voice of the Oromo Liberation, an African semi-clandestine station broadcasting in the Afan language from the Nauen relay station in Germany, 1700 to 1730. The transmitter power is 100 kilowatts and the antenna is 144 degrees. And the Vatican Radio, with its Spanish programs to Central America, continues to use the Greenville, USA, relay station, with frequency 7305, between 12.30 and 12.45, 250 kilowatts and 160 degrees antenna. Now, some information concerning propagation and monitoring. Some advice must received from the Ionospheric Prediction Service in Sydney, New South Wales, here in Australia. The latest solar forecast from the organisation says that the 10 centimetre solar radio flux has now moved to 135 and the daily equivalent sunspot number has been recorded as 89. And we are moving now into the early stages of the new sunspot cycle number 24. Solar activity has been at RO levels with several C-class flares being observed on the face of the sun. There are currently five numbered sunspot regions on the solar disk. Solar activity is expected to be at ROR1 levels in the near future. A CME was observed in the LASCO imagery from the west at around midnight UTC. The solar wind speed is expected to be near background levels at, at the time of preparation of the report with the possibility of increasing by the end of the period due to a coronal hole high-speed wind stream. So that's the summary of information received from the Ionospheric Prediction Service in Sydney, New South Wales, and we note that high frequencies now are propagating more reliably on darkness paths 
We hope you found the broadcast interesting and helpful for your shortwave radio monitoring. Just a reminder that full detail ADXR QSL cards are available by contacting this address. The URL is simply adxr.org. Give it once again, adxr.org. At that address you'll find all the details about how you may send in a reception report and you can receive a QSL card via postal mail, that's physical postal mail, or via the internet. So until our next program, this is Bob in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Wishing you all good listening and thanks for being with us. Goodbye for now. Thank you, Bob. And we scan today with Samoan music from WVUV. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson. Next week, postal mail and early radio on Grenada in the Caribbean. And our Indian DX report. WaveScan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, KVOH in Los Angeles, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to QSL at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Till next week, good listening, everyone. Bye.